Thank you, Joel. Good morning to all, and uh, happy Thanksgiving week to you all. It's good to see you here on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and uh, it's hard to believe, man, hasn't this year flown by, and here we are on Thanksgiving week, and of course, if there's anything that we associate with Thanksgiving, besides hopefully giving thanks, I mean, that's why they call it Thanksgiving, right? It's probably turkey, you think? We give thanks for turkey, and we look forward to turkey. Now, the turkeys themselves, not so much. Like this particular turkey, Gene, he's uh, beginning to regret his neck tattoo, a very simple, understated, dotted line around his neck there. Uh, Maybe that wasn't such a good idea. I think there's going to be a booming business in about 20 years of all the millennials and Generation Z who've gotten tattoos who are going to decide that wasn't a very good idea either. And if there's such a good thing as tattoo removal, well, Gene, I think it may be a little too late for Gene. You may see him on your Thanksgiving table. Or how about this turkey who went to the fortune teller who said, I see you in the Navy. Yes, yes, that's you next to a Navy boat. No, actually, wait, it's a gravy boat. (laughs) And here's a little Thanksgiving etiquette for those of you who are going to throw caution to the wind and actually gather with family this year. At Thanksgiving dinner, if you tell your uncle you like his new mustache, make sure you're not talking to your aunt. Just a little faux pas, you know, Thanksgiving. And of course, prayers at Thanksgiving are always appropriate before the meal, like this particular prayer where the little boy says, I'm thankful for my family and friends for this meal and that I saw which part of the turkey the dog was licking. A lot of people are going to struggle to be thankful this year, huh? It's a difficult year for everybody, even as we approach this Thanksgiving Day Thursday. A lot of people are going to feel like this sign. It kind of looks like a campaign sign, and they want to vote for the giant meteor just to end 2020. After all, it's the year of COVID, isn't it? And people have gotten sick, they have been hospitalized, they have died. It has consumed our year since March. As if things couldn't get worse since May, we've also seen riots in the streets and we've seen all kinds of uh, racial unrest across the country. That's yet another source of division. And speaking of division, we've seen perhaps the most divisive political campaigns in our lifetimes. And this bitter division was made clear by the fact that now about half of the country is uh, very happy about the outcome of the presidential election and the other half is very unhappy about the outcome of the presidential election. That's the very definition of divisions, practically right down the middle. But here's the good thing. As always, the Word of God speaks to these kinds of life issues. Sometimes not specifically, but pretty much always, at least generally, in biblical principles. And as always, since the coming of Christ, we've had His Word to guide us in these attitudes, our attitudes, our behaviors as we seek to live faithfully in this sinful and troubled world. So Thanksgiving really is the perfect time to ponder what our attitude should be. Not just this week when we set aside a day to give thanks, but always, always. In fact, that's the word that the Apostle Paul uses in the context of a brief passage that includes an attitude we're to attain 
to as believers in Christ always. This is our key text this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It says, rejoice, how much? Always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, as a new believer, less than a year old in Christ, when I was 17 in April 1974, the family that led me to the Lord gave me this Bible. So this Bible's older than some of you kids, maybe some of you adults as well. It was the first Bible that I ever really read. And here in the front of this Bible, there's an inscription which includes these verses that we just read. So these short verses became the first uh, passage of Scripture that I ever really meditated on, thought about a lot, and memorized. And uh, you can break it down to RPGT. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Not just rejoice, but rejoice always. Not just pray, but pray continually or without ceasing or constantly, some versions say. Not just give thanks, but give thanks in all circumstances. As a young believer, I never realized how incredibly powerful this clear statement of God's will for my life would be. I never imagined how necessary these admonitions would be as I faced difficulties and challenges and sometimes even the suffering that my life would bring. I never imagined that all of us would endure a year like 2020. How is rejoicing God's will for our lives? How hard is it not just to rejoice, but to rejoice always? How hard is it to pray, but not just to pray, but to pray without ceasing or pray constantly? And how hard is it to give thanks? It's not hard to give thanks, but to give thanks in all circumstances? Can we admit that that's very hard? that to give thanks in circumstances, everything that transpires throughout the course of our lifetime. It's not easy at all. Well, as we look at this passage, let's first remember that Paul had some street cred here. Paul is not just pontificating from the proverbial ivory tower. You know that phrase, you know that expression. It's someone who's teaching and thinking about something, not from just experience, but almost philosophically, and is separated experientially from what he's telling us our Christian attitude should be. That's not Paul. A person uh, pontificating from the ivory tower might seem to have a little less credibility even if what he says is true because he's never lived what he's teaching. But Paul, in fact, did live what he was teaching here and in other places we'll look at. As we learn from Paul's various letters to the New Testament church, Paul was beaten with rods of iron three times. Five times he received 39 lashes. And he was beaten in other ways several more times. He was in prison several times. He was shipwrecked three times. He was stoned and he lived constantly under the threat of death from those who hated his message. And he knew what it was like to not have enough to eat or drink. Yet in writing to the church at Thessalonica, Paul says, rejoice always. He says, pray continually and give thanks in every circumstance. And it's not the only place Paul encourages that attitude in us. 
We read in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, he says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So this is a theme we see throughout Paul's epistles, throughout the New Testament. And so we think, okay, well I get the first part of this first verse, rejoice always. Yes, there are certainly things we can rejoice in, but the second part is the difficult part. The rejoice, yeah, I get it, I do it. Always, a little bit harder, even when things are hard, even when we're suffering. Even in 2020 with COVID and everything else going on, rejoice in 2020? It reminds me of the response that I first had emotionally to the first time I encountered another verse in the New Testament where Paul tells us to rejoice. Think about it. What do you rejoice in? There's things that we all kind of rejoice in, right? For the language challenged among you, rejoice means to feel joyful about something, to be delighted about something. You might rejoice, for example, in something you accomplished. You might rejoice in your children's accomplishments, as no doubt the failures were last Sunday, huh? You might rejoice in your favorite football or basketball team's success. You might rejoice in some simple pleasure, like a favorite food, or maybe a vacation in the mountains, or a beautiful sunset, or a good book, or being with people you love. You might rejoice in God's provision for you. You might rejoice in His wondrous love and His amazing grace. There are many things that all of us can think of to rejoice in. And then there are those things that we wouldn't normally think of rejoicing in at all, except perhaps when those things are tied to an understanding of the kingdom of God and God's love for us. We read in Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So far, so good, huh? As followers of Jesus, we can all look forward to the glory of God, being in His radiant presence at the last day or on that day of our death, and then throughout all of eternity after that. And thinking of this, and hoping for this, and remembering that hope in Scripture isn't mere wishing, but it's sure and certain, So hoping for this is definitely something we can rejoice in, isn't it? That's one of the primary things that all believers in Christ should rejoice in. But wait. You know those commercials? They give you this benefit and this benefit, and they say, but wait, there's more. Well, here we have the same thing. Wait, there's more. This passage in Romans doesn't end there where we see Paul writing, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It says, not only so... In other words, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which of course we do, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given. Now wait a minute, you might think. Wait a minute upon reading this passage for the first time. I can rejoice in some things. I can rejoice in a lot of things that I can think of, especially in the hope of the glory of God. But suffering? You might be inclined to say upon reading that we rejoice in our suffering, say, rejoice in what? Come on. But Paul writes here, 
to the Roman Christians, and it's absolutely clear. It's consistent with what we just read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, where we are to rejoice always. And if that's not clear, we can see in verse 18 that we're to give thanks in all circumstances. My brothers and sisters, there's no ambiguity at all here. There's no need to explain this away with some interpretation other than the very clear and obvious meaning of this text. So back to verse 3 in Romans 5. We also rejoice in our sufferings. New American Standard renders that verse. We also exult in our tribulations. Let's back up the rejoicing truck a second. Wait a minute. Maybe rejoice doesn't mean the same thing here as it meant in the previous verse in Romans 5.2 where it says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But no, it does. It does mean the same thing here. In fact, one commentary suggests rejoice may not be a strong enough word and that exalt, as the New American Standard puts it, might even be a better word or even boast. How about boasting in your sufferings? The Greek word here is translated in one version of the New Testament as glory 23 times. As in when we glory in something or boast about something. It's translated boast eight times and rejoice four times. Well then, maybe sufferings only include suffering for Christ. Maybe that let us off the hook here a little bit. Paul certainly did that, as we noted moments ago, all those trials and tribulations that he faced. Maybe this is addressed to the suffering church and not to us regular, everyday Christians. Huh? You think it might be? Those of us who suffer with COVID restrictions or illness or disability or pain or difficult relationships or hating school or something else. Unfortunately, Scripture does not let us off the hook there either. The Complete Word Study Dictionary says that this word means in a figurative manner, pressure from evils, affliction, distress of a woman in travail, often as a substitute word for evils by which one is pressed. That is affliction, distress, calamity. Get the idea? So it's clear that while there certainly are some passages where the context is referring primarily to suffering for the cause of Christ, we can make a case that many of these passages also apply to more generic sufferings of all kinds, the kinds that you and I face pretty much every day. Of course, we should also note that this passage in Romans would obviously also apply to persecuted believers, of course. But there's no doubt that it's referring to sufferings, tribulations, troubles of all kinds, just as always means always in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, and in every circumstance means in every circumstance in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The bottom line here is that Paul is exhorting us to rejoice in our sufferings. Let's let that sink in for just a moment. And it's not just suffering, it's sufferings, plural. We're going to suffer more than one day of our lives. That means any and all sufferings, from stubbing our toe or getting caught in a traffic jam to maybe significant pain and the more serious things that cause us to suffer, either emotionally or physically or both, even in 2020, even in COVID world. 
Now believe me, I don't say this lightly because I can look around this room and I know the circumstances that many of you are suffering with in your daily lives, past and present, and know that many of these circumstances are classified in no other way at all but suffering. But if we're going to take Paul's admonition here seriously, we have to admit that rejoice in our sufferings in Romans 5 and rejoice always in 1 Thessalonians 5 means just that. The reason we can rejoice always is because our joy, our rejoicing, does not come from our circumstances. If it did, we could only rejoice sometimes because sometimes our circumstances are good and sometimes they're not. Our joy, our rejoicing comes from the blessings we have because we are in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul can write about rejoicing to the Corinthians and say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet known, well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul's telling us here, among other things, that sorrow and rejoicing can go together. Doesn't always compute with us, does it? But sorrow and rejoicing can go together. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Echoes rejoice always, doesn't it? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, how can we do this? How can we experience the kinds of suffering that brings us sorrows in this life, yet always rejoice even in the midst of those things, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Well, Paul addresses part of the answer to that in the next verse of 1 Thessalonians, where he writes, pray continually, or pray without ceasing. Now, prayer is a lot of things, so we're not going to cover the waterfront on prayer this morning, but in this context, it is an admission, at the very least, that we cannot rejoice always without God's grace. Grace can equip us to do things that we could not do without it. And since joy, which is a form of rejoicing, is a fruit of the Spirit, it seems clear that this isn't something we can just decide to do. I will be joyful. I will rejoice. I will be joyful. I will rejoice. Now, it's not that our will, it's not that our decision-making process isn't a part of this picture, but it's part of the equation only because we realize we can't always rejoice in and of ourselves. We're not capable of it. So we decide to ask God to equip us. We decide to ask God to help us trust Him by His Holy Spirit to do just that in our hearts, to help us rejoice always. That's one reason we need to pray continually. If you're going to rejoice always, you should pray continually. To pray continually doesn't mean we mumble prayers every moment of every day. That would be confusing. Just like rejoicing always doesn't mean we're constantly saying, praise the Lord. We're not always jumping up and down. We're not always happy clappy. That's why Paul says we can be sorrowful, yet always rejoice. It's about a heart attitude. And isn't that true of so many things in Scripture? It's not always about what things look like on the outside. It's about 
our heart attitude. What kind of a heart attitude do we have? All three of the things that are declared to be God's will for us here in this passage in Thessalonians are heart attitudes. R-P-G-T, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in everything. So when we're encouraged to pray continually, we must remember at least a part of what praying is. At least part of what praying is, is submitting our will to God and our lives to God. Why? Because we acknowledge we are powerless to change anything. When we acknowledge this, we go to God in prayer because we know that he can change anything. And when he chooses not to change something that's hard, he's able to sustain us. Without him, Scripture tells us we can do nothing. But in him, the Word also tells us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Two of those all things include rejoicing always and giving thanks in everything. Think about this. How do we fellowship with one another? Just in our everyday intercourse with each other. We have conversations, don't we? We talk to each other. So Paul was writing here of our maintaining continuous fellowship with God as much as possible in the midst of our daily lives. It's keeping an uninterrupted and constant spirit and attitude of prayer. So to rejoice always, we must pray without ceasing. This means praying every time an opportunity arises and to be in a constant attitude, a constant spirit of reliance on God. It doesn't mean we neglect everything else. It means we're always conscious of our absolute need and our absolute dependence on God. It means we realize His Holy Spirit resides in us as believers in Christ. And when we think of it this way, it becomes as natural as breathing for us to pray frequent, spontaneous, short prayers throughout our day. Now this shouldn't be a substitute for regular times of extended prayer. But it should be an outgrowth of those times. The other thing Paul may be referring to here is persistence. We see that illustrated more clearly in other passages of Scripture. But we do see ourselves being admonished in the Word to be persistent in prayer, to always pray and not give up, as the introduction to Luke chapter 18, verse 1 tells us in the parable of the persistent widow. This is an expression of faith that God answers prayer. Even prayers we sometimes pray over days, weeks, months, and even years. We should pray continually. The delay in seeing an answer may be God's way of working His will. So pray without ceasing suggests, again, a mental attitude of prayer. Continual, persistent, and consistent personal fellowship with God. And consciousness of being in his presence throughout each day it not only means to observe regular habits of prayer and to cultivate a desire to pray but to be continually in a prayerful spirit so then we see paul wrap up these short verses in verse 18 where he writes give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of god in christ jesus for you in this passage the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, we see Paul including all three of these things in these three short verses, not just the giving thanks part, which it follows immediately. In other words, here's the idea here. 
Rejoice always, because this is God's will for you. Pray constantly, because this is God's will for you. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you. Do you remember the bracelets with WJD several years ago? That's, you see that on your screen as an example of that. What would Jesus do, right? Bruce even preached a great message about the origin of WWJD, where that came from. But when I think of this morning's theme of Thanksgiving, I also like to think, what would Joel do? What would Jody do? Because they are two that are constantly rejoicing and uh, giving thanks for things. There's the story about a Scottish minister named Alexander White, who was very well known for his uplifting prayers in the pulpit. He always found something for which to be grateful. And one Sunday morning, the weather was so gloomy, kind of like it was this morning, dark and gray, and, or most of the day yesterday. One church member thought to himself, certainly the preacher won't think of anything for which to thank the Lord on a wretched day like this. And much to his surprise, however, White began by praying, we thank thee, O God, that it's not always like this. <laughs> Who does that sound like? Huh? I don't know about you, but I really want to be able to respond to life with an attitude of gratitude. Here's a sermon title that was thrown off the island, so to speak. I want to be grateful, not grouchy. Grateful, not grouchy. And as we begin Thanksgiving week and then Advent, we begin the Advent season next Sunday when we remember the indescribable gift God gave us in the Word made flesh who dwelt among us we want to think about Paul's admonition to give thanks in all circumstances. We see echoes of Paul's words from Thessalonians in another passage. He wrote this to the Colossians. Chapter 3, beginning with verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, psalms and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to the God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So did you notice something important here, flowing with our theme today? In the space of three verses, the last three verses of the six that we read from Colossians, we see the admonition from the Apostle Paul to the Christians in the Colossian church to be thankful. Here in this passage, we see Paul encouraging the believers to do all kinds of things to live up to what they are as God's chosen ones in Christ, but to do all these things with gratitude. Imagine what the church would look like if we lived our lives among one another faithfully practicing the things that Paul wrote about here. Now, I'm not implying that these things aren't happening here, but wouldn't we like to do better still? Let's think about a church that got really good about applying these things. We'd have compassionate hearts, genuinely caring about people's problems and needs and doing what we can about it. 
I see a lot of that at work here at TCF. We'd be kind and humble, not insisting on our own recognition or our own perspectives on COVID or politics. We'd be patient with each other. We'd bear with one another. That means we'd put up with each other. I mean, that's kind of what it means. We put up with each other. When there was a complaint about anything, there would be forgiveness with a clear understanding that the roots of that forgiveness are God's forgiveness of us. We'd love one another. That would be the hallmark of all we do. The thing which bound us together in the unity of the Spirit with all these other things. In verse 15, after encouraging us to let the peace of Christ rule our hearts, we see Paul's first exhortation for us to be thankful in this passage. And then in verse 16, after encouraging us to let Christ's word dwell in us, encouraging us to admonish one another, Paul tells us that what should mark this admonishing, this wisdom, this uh, singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, what? Thankfulness in our hearts to God. And then in summing up, Paul says that everything we do should be done in the name of our Lord Jesus. Everything. Everything. Isn't that quite an admonition? Just like giving thanks in everything. So here in his letter to the Colossians, Paul paints this wonderful picture of what the church is supposed to look like. From how we are to behave with and relate to one another, and it's all rooted in gratitude for what God's done for us. This is just one of several places in the New Testament where we get some very specific ideas about how we are to behave and how we are to walk out our faith in the practical day-to-day realities of our relationships with one another. The fact that we're encouraged to have compassionate hearts assumes the reality that there will be people who need our compassion. The fact that we're encouraged to have patience to put up with one another, again, assumes that there will be people in our lives who will challenge our patience, and maybe they also have challenging personalities, quirks or even character flaws in their lives that we find difficult to tolerate. Don't start looking around. The fact that Paul admonishes us to forgive one another assumes that people will do things that upset us or even hurt us that need forgiving. And the fact that we're encouraged here to love because love binds all these things together like a belt that holds your pants up says that there will be people in our lives who are less lovable than others. Or there may be some who are usually lovable, but maybe they have some unlovable moments or even seasons of their lives. But it's interesting to find in the midst of all these things that we're to do, attitudes that we're to develop, like compassion and humility and patience and love, we also find three separate times this urging of Paul for us to be thankful. In verse 15, it says, and be thankful. In verse 16, it says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In verse 17, where it says, giving thanks to the Father through Him. I think it's very instructive for us to pay attention to this close connection between the grace of God and thanksgiving. Think about this for just a minute, looking back at the earlier verses in this section. Why should we show compassion? Because God in His grace, as a gift, showed compassion for us. Why should we show kindness? 
Because the Word tells us that the gift of God's kindness leads us to repentance. Why should we exhibit humility? Because Jesus Himself humbled Himself by becoming the Word made flesh. Why should we be patient with one another? Because the Word tells us that God is patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to Him for everlasting life. Each of these things are manifestations of the grace of God. Part of His wonderful, undeserved gifts to us. Gifts for which we must be thankful. We're not capable of earning this grace. It's a gift of God. Not because of something we've done. None of us can boast that we've been so good that God could save us. Or maybe we might think He didn't even need to save us because we're so good. So God's grace and this call from Paul three times in this passage in Colossians to be thankful are tied together with our thanksgiving deeply rooted in God's grace. After all, as Scripture asks us rhetorically, what do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So in thankfulness for His grace, we can have compassion. Because we're thankful for God's kindness, we can be kind. Because we're grateful for Jesus' model of humility, we can be humble. Because we're thankful God is patient with us, we can be patient with others. Get the idea? We see in Psalm 92, verse 1, it says, It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. Why is that? Does God need our thanks? Well, we might make a case that God likes it, maybe enjoys it, appreciates it. But God doesn't need anything. That's a startling thing to think about. But God doesn't need anything He is not up there pining away, wishing we would be more grateful so he could feel good about himself. When we do nice things for people and they seem ungrateful, how do we feel? It's annoying. It's frustrating. And maybe even hurtful to us. But God does not get frustrated. So why is it a good thing to give thanks to the Lord? Why is it a good thing for us to cultivate this as an attitude of our hearts? an attitude of gratitude, I believe it's at least in part because God knows it's good for us. He knows it's good for us. We need it. Learning to be thankful is the best prevention possible against taking anything for granted. Aren't you frustrated when people take what you do for them for granted? God knows that, how that feels. It doesn't frustrate Him, but it does frustrate us. So God knows that we need it. Learning to be thankful is that best possible prevention against thinking we deserve anything good. So as we enjoy family and friends, as we eat our turkey dinners, maybe even Gene on your plate, and as we eat those pumpkin pies this week, let's remember God's grace and goodness. And let's that be the foundation of our rejoicing always, of our praying continually, and of our thankful hearts. And as Joel mentioned, and it's a note in your bulletin, next week, I w- uh, this, during this coming week, as you're thankful with family and friends and you're celebrating Thanksgiving together, think about what you're thankful for. And in one to three minute, just a brief testimony, I'm thankful for this because. And I want you to, many of you to be prepared to come next Sunday because that's going to be our fifth Sunday theme.
how appropriate for a fifth Sunday theme that comes right after Thanksgiving and right at the beginning of the Advent season when we think about that passage of Scripture that says, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Amen? Heavenly Father, we are indeed a grateful people. We pray that you would help us cultivate this gratitude more and more, that it would be the hallmark of our response to the things that happen to us in the world. Lord, that you, by your Spirit, would help us to rejoice always. We know joy is a fruit of the Spirit. We pray, Heavenly Father, you would help us to have an attitude of prayerfulness where we go throughout our day uttering prayers to you about this and that and anything that comes to mind, Father God, that we would be a people who pray continuously. And Lord, that you would help us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, develop an attitude of gratitude so that we could give thanks in every circumstance, even those circumstances that we wouldn't be inclined to thank you for. We want to thank you that we are able to do that because of the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So we thank you, Father, and ask you to bless this and work this word into our hearts during this week in Jesus' name.